Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the sixth installment in our Jurassic Park slash Jurassic World movie review series. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. And today we are reviewing Jurassic World Dominion. Now, as I said, we have reviewed all the previous entries in the franchise. So if you want to know our thoughts on Fallen Kingdom, on the original Jurassic World, on the original Jurassic Park trilogy, all of that is linked below. So go ahead and check that down there. We also have timestamps if you're ready to jump straight into our review or you even want to know what our rating and recommendations are. Those timestamps are there. Of course, we've got links to our social pages and all kinds of great content down there you don't want to miss. So make sure to check that out. And no matter where you're listening, make sure to leave us five stars. That's a great free way to help out the podcast. Well, Alan, it's been kind of a long time, actually, mm-hmm. since these About previous four years, films. right? Yeah. So once we hit June 22nd, it'll be four years. And I think this one is kind of shocking. It's been over seven years since Jurassic World came out over seven years. So just to put it into perspective, Alan, you were a teenager when Jurassic World came out. You were a little over 19. You are now, what, a little over 26? Yep, yep. That's right. It's very correct. Yeah, I what we had just graduated. We were a year out of high school, I think, when the first one came out back in 2015. I remember when that came out, too. I remember thinking... Interesting. They're coming out with a new Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> Pretty sure I saw it in theaters, yeah. uh, but I do remember, I do remember when that one came out. I wasn't super excited back in my college days for it. No, I know. Yeah, it was surprising to say the least. But it went on to be a big film, and then you know what? Mm-hmm. It took three years, a little, just slightly over three years, to get the next one, which is is that's an understandable thing for a kind of a big blockbuster movie. But then it took four right. years for us to cap off this trilogy. So it's just, to me, honestly, I never even thought this movie was coming. I forgot they were even making a third one. I mean, I'm assuming, were you the same way, Alan? Kind of out of sight, out of mind? For this one, uh, I knew that one was coming. But I wasn't particularly excited or really cared <laughs> to to really see it. So... Uh, when the when they finally started putting out trailers, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot they were making the that they were in talks with a with a third one or third one in this trilogy, I guess. So can't say I was following it very closely, personally. I I was not either. We're gonna get into that here in just a minute. It just kind of seemed like one of those things where it's like maybe they'll just they will never make a third one or. I know it's coming eventually. Yeah, it's just going to take, you know, nearly four years to get there. And it's one of those. This is one of those things where they're mining an old franchise and they're playing off nostalgia. They're bringing back the old characters, which we have not seen on screen together since the very first film 29 years mm-hmm. ago. So 
there's a lot of nostalgia. The second film just had its 25th anniversary this year. The third film is coming up on its 21st anniversary. So it makes sense that they're going to do that. They're doing a new one. But after the, uh, I think this is the crazy thing. So the scores for the second one are trash, but it grosses $1.3 billion. So of course they're going to make a third one. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you listen to the background, you know that it didn't take very long uh, for them to even start eyeing a third film. I think that the first one had, I think it had either just come out or uh, was about to come out when they were already talking about making a third film. So this being a trilogy was, you know, was kind of already in the books from the beginning. Well, Corbin, uh, now that it's out, uh, what did you think about the trailers? If we hadn't needed to review it for this podcast, would they have been something that would have gotten you into the theater? Or would you have skipped it? Or what are your thoughts? I actually didn't see any of the trailers uh, before I saw the movie in theaters. I personally thought this movie wasn't very well advertised. I actually saw more advertisements for the Hardys or Carl's Jr. I guess depends on where you live, maybe. The uh, Jurassic Burger, the Jurassic Burrito with the special amber sauce, uh, no mosquitoes included. I saw more of those advertisements than I did for this movie. So going into the movie, I did not see any trailers and it wasn't like I was like looking for them or anything, but I just didn't think they were all advertised. Once I did see the trailers, I thought the trailer was kind of self-important with this like, you know, wispy monologue. Uh, It looked kind of crazy. It looked pretty exciting. If I wasn't reviewing it for the podcast, I can't say I would go see it in theaters. You know, I wasn't looking forward to it either. I would definitely rent it from Redbox, or I guess it's going to be streaming on Peacock 45 days after release. That's when I would check it out. Gotcha. Yeah, so for me, I can't say I would have cared much. Uh, I think I caught one of the trailers, probably because it was one of the trailers playing before a different movie I was watching in the theater at the time. Um, so I remember, I think I I did see one of these, I I saw the original, uh, official release trailer. That was really the only one that I had seen going into this film. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. It it definitely feels like it's trying to be a lot more self-important. It's trying to, you know, it's like it's trying to puff up its own chest. Like this is what we're going to be talking (laughs) about. Like you're going to get diving into, you know, more existential kind of things, but, um, I can't say I was very excited for it. Um, I honestly wouldn't have gone to see it had we not had to review it because I know what happened last time. And last time I was not very happy with what happened, uh, <laughs> even though it was mm-hmm. kind of so bad that it's good in a lot of unfortunate ways. Yeah. So I yeah. couldn't imagine that, you know, it the, the sequel to that film would be any better. Mm-hmm. So if we had needed to review it, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have gone out of my way to go watch it. Can't say I would have been very uh, enthused about it. Even after watching the trailer, I'm like, eh. I know what happened last time. I don't really, you know, I'm not really into uh, what's, you know, what this new trilogy is about. As for my theatrical experience, I did see it with my wife opening weekend in IMAX. We actually had a coupon, which covered a majority of the cost. So I nearly saw this for free in IMAX. Um... This was a crazy experience. We get to the parking lot. 
I'm trying to remember what time the showing was. It's like, I don't know. A, what was it? It was like a five o'clock showing or something on a Saturday, four o'clock showing. The parking lot of the theater is totally packed. I texted you about this, Alan. I was like, wow. we couldn't even find a spot. Yeah. We had to park out in the North 40. We get into the IMAX itself. There are concession lines out the wazoo. It's essentially a sold out showing. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, people of all ages were there. I mean, it was huge. I, I mean, I have not been to a movie that busy. Even um, Spider-Man, the newest Spider-Man, whatever it's called, um, even it wasn't quite that busy of an IMAX experience. Now, it was pretty much sold out, but this was even crazier. Wow. That's impressive. Wow. I mean, I guess it this really kind of is like one of the start starts of the you know, yeah, summer well, that's true. blockbuster yeah. season two. Yeah. How fair. was your theatrical experience? It was a lot more subdued. Uh, we caught <laughs> this movie. Um, I mean, to be fair, it's in a lot more of a smaller town where I went to go see it. Uh, so... We went to we went and caught it. I uh, we got tickets like minutes before the show actually started. So technically, oh, I missed like the wow. first like ten seconds of this film. Um, but you know, it was pretty pretty. You know, it wasn't too hard to figure out what was going on with the you know the opening portion. Um, other than that, oh yeah, um, there's nothing there. The audience was pretty subdued. It was a it was a much was not the IMAX size of a theater. Definitely not. It was a much, it probably sat about, you know, 30, 40 people. So everyone's pretty quiet. So it wasn't, it wasn't really that big of a, wasn't really that big of a deal for my experience, at least. I think what we're at home about. Yeah, we tried, we bought tickets at noon the day of, mm -hmm. and that was, we bought them online. That was a tricky task to get those tickets. I mean, everything else was either like on the front row or just a couple like one seater speckled throughout the theater. I think we got like the last two seats together mm. in the theater at noon that day. I was shocked. I was honestly shocked. Yeah. Yeah. We, I definitely mentioned because a group of us were about to go. I was like, oh, we should probably check to make sure there are actually seats before we just show up to a theater because this is, you know, opening mm. weekend and mm -hmm. it's Jurassic World. I couldn't imagine that, yeah. you know, no one's going to be there. Right. So, oh, sure. Yeah. Luckily, there sure. were. The when we looked, there were the front two rows were pretty much open, and there were uh, small pockets here and there. Um, luckily, we were all able to sit together, but I, I don't think anyone was about to, you know, sit in the front two rows. Um, mm -hmm. No thanks. <laughs> I've done that once. Thank I did that you. with uh, Rampage. I sat in the front row, very left hand oh. side, and it was at such a oh. such a. You know, insane angle. You couldn't even hardly see what was going on. It yep. was great. That was Toy Story 3 in 3D for me. It oh. <laughs> oh, I bet that. Oh, I mean, I bet that was a trip. It, it was a trip. It was a trip. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Jurassic World Dominion and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. It is, as of this recording, exclusively playing in theaters. But like I said... If you want to wait a little bit, if you have a little bit of patience, you can check it out on Peacock coming soon. Uh, that's where it'll be streaming. But for now, if you don't want to spoil it for you, click pause, go to your local theater, watch the film, then come back and click play. And Alan's going to give you, I, I think, a brief plot. I don't know. We're going to find out. Yep. So, Corbin, you texted me at the right time because I was fleshing this plot out, trying to figure things out. And you said, yo, it only, only needs to be a 30-second plot. I'm like, well... 
Good yeah. thing you stopped me now because <laughs> otherwise this would have been a short novel by the time I was done with it. Um, I, I'll be honest, Alan. I don't know how you could even remember the plot. I'm, I'm, if I hadn't taken notes, I wouldn't remember the plot of this movie. I looked up on Wikipedia. I looked it up on the plot <laughs> synopsis on IMDb to get my bearings mm-hmm. straight because I'm with you. This is a very uh, convoluted plot, I guess we could say. Um, so <laughs> when I knew, when I found out that I was doing the background for this, I'm like, ah, yes, this one would be fun. So <laughs> luckily, this is the very stripped down 30 second version of what is a two and a half hour long um, movie. <laughs> so I'm ready for it. It's been four years since the Lockwood Estate incident where dinosaurs brought from Ila Nublar broke free to roam the mainland. Dinos now kind of live peacefully with the humans and animals. Owen and Claire chase after their surrogate daughter, who is no, whose name is Maisie. Along to her shirt, she's a clone from the last movie we found out from someone who, from Lockwood, his uh, granddaughter. Um, well, she was captured by Biosyn, a new... Uh, a new genetics company that's kind of been doing research and trying to find cures for diseases. They capture her because I know that she's a she's a clone, and they capture uh, Blue's baby Beta also because Blue gave birth asexually, so they can do research on them. Um, well, so they go after Maisie and end up teaming up with Dr. Ellie Sadler, Alan Grant, and Ian Malcolm, the original cast from the original, original movie, to expose the Apple-esque Biosyn for their malpractice in research and antitrust. In the end, Biosyn is stopped, and the dinos are all set free, and Maisie gets to live another day. The end. Is that short enough for you? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I would say that's as good as it probably could get, making this a short plot, because... There's definitely kind of multiple strands of this plot that mm-hmm. it's like this plot just like can't help itself. And it just one after another sets up different things. The first question I'm curious about, though, Alan, is I watched this movie. If you listen to your guide to Jurassic World Dominion, which released last week, you'll know my updated thoughts on Fallen Kingdom. Did you go back at all and watch any of this? Did you watch the Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom? Did you watch any of those at all? I may have seen, and it's been four years, so I may have seen Jurassic World one time, maybe, since we watched Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but that would be the only one. I have not seen Fallen Kingdom at all since we reviewed it. I haven't really cared much to go back and watch it, so that's going to be a no. I haven't made without with this, with the exception being maybe I had seen Jurassic World. If I have, I don't remember much from it. And if I have, my thoughts remain basically the same to my knowledge. So that would be the only one. I, I don't even remember if I have. So there you go. Did you feel like you were lost at all going into this one? Since I would say I get it. It's supposed to kind of wrap up stuff from the previous two movies. But if anything, it's kind of coming off of main plot threads from the second one did you feel lost whatsoever not really um i know that the two biggest points were that the dinosaurs were set free to roam that was big was number one that's how the last one ended um we got to see them go free and the second one was that Maisie is a clone that one was a big one too so those are the two ones that i did remember from the previous movie and honestly those are the only two that really 
I guess, matter <laughs> going into this one, at least. There's not nothing else that I at least picked up on unless I missed something that felt like, you know, I totally missed it from the previous film outside of a few characters here and there, like Franklin. Um, I think one other person that I remembered from the last one, the last film too. Yeah, see, I feel like watching the second one isn't totally necessary, but I think it does probably give you a bit more context as to why they have this adoptive daughter. I did think it was kind of funny that two of the helper characters from the second film, was his name Franklin? Uh, yeah, was, the guy who works for the CIA now. Yeah, he works for the CIA now, yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> him and the Asian lady, they pop up in the very beginning, and they are promptly dropped, especially the Asian lady. I don't believe she's given any sort of any sort of outro in this plot. They're just yep. like, ah, we've got the new characters. We don't really care about her anymore. It's weird how they try and set this up as kind of the sequel to the second one. And then quickly they realize, eh, we, we want to move on to different places. It's So anyways, I don't think it's totally necessary to see the second one, but I will say it kind of did help place me where we were, we were picking up because I had forgotten about releasing the dinosaurs actually oh really i had forgotten it yeah i guess i just blocked that movie out. <laughs> fair enough <laughs> i did i remember we when we were talking about that movie you know four years ago i, I remember i mentioned that you know them releasing the dinosaurs is you know just paving a way for infinite jurassic park movies basically so mm -hmm. that was why i remembered it so much is because you know i was expecting you know, this next movie to be, you know, the one where, oh, dinosaurs roaming the earth. It's going to be like like a post-apocalyptic kind of Jurassic World, Jurassic Park-like movie. Not exactly what we get. Uh, and in fact, that if you listen to the background, I mentioned that that's kind of what uh, director Kevin Trevorrow, Colin Trevorrow, wanted to kind of get away from was not necessarily go down the route that you'd expect. He wanted to go down more of a realistic route, um, which... We'll get into it in a second if uh, that really worked or not, but that was the route he wanted to take. That is a very interesting point you bring up. Without having any knowledge of what the plot of this movie was about, aside from seeing like the old cast with the new cast together in kind of this, you know, burned out wasteland, I, I did think this was going to be post apocalyptic, actually. Mm -hmm. It's very far fetched for me to believe that dinosaurs introduced into the ecosystem of our modern world have very little bearing on anything, actually. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, e exactly. That was exactly what I was thinking, too, is it kind of feels like everyone's just going on with their daily lives. There are just <laughs> dinosaurs now, which yeah. is very strange. It's a, it's a very strange, I guess, depiction, given that this is coming off of, you know, the goat, you know, is coming off of, what happened with COVID-19, right? Where, you know, it was a disease that ended up spreading around and everything just shut down, right? Versus dinosaurs, which are, can be actually like, super deadly, you know, if you were coming in contact with one. I, I would imagine that th there would be a similar, if not even worse, you know, retaliation against something like that. But mm -hmm. that's, not, I guess, not what Kevin Trevorrow, Kevin Trevorrow, Colin Trevorrow wanted to go through. <laughs> it's the, what he, That's not what he wanted to do, I guess. But yeah, I'm with you. It seems very strange for that kind of thing not, to not happen, like, you know, mass panic or whatever. And I think now that we've seen the trilogy, we know Trevorrow 
was a writer on all three films. He directed yep. the first. He came back to direct the third. I feel like there is still some like clashing visions here, though, because what occurs in the second has very little bearing on the third. And I'll even say what happens in the first has very little bearing on the third mm-hmm. or even the second. To me, these feel more like loosely connected, independent Jurassic adventures where you can watch any of them without seeing the previous installment. And it doesn't really matter. That's the way I saw it, at least. You did mention Maisie, the Mm -hmm. girl. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're doing a little bit of retconning from the second one. Yeah, they are. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but we realize she's not necessarily a clone. She's the daughter of a clone? Is Is that what you picked up in this one? Right. So this is, you're right, from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, it's revealed that she, Maisie is a clone, right? Um, mm-hmm. Lockwood's granddaughter died, and she's the clone of Lockwood's granddaughter, apparently, right, from the last movie. <laughs> this one, yeah. you're right, they retcon it. So Maisie's mother, I forget her name. She gave birth asexually. That was the thing. That was a big deal. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the virgin birth. Yeah. Uh, She had some kind of DNA thing, and then then she was able to give birth, you know, asexually, and she died soon after that. That was the big deal. So come to find out, she's not actually a clone. She's just special because she was not born (laughs) with a dad. Um, Right. Which is— Like Anakin. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're born from the force. Same thing, right? And, you know, metachlorians, DNA, they're all the same thing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, th- I think, yeah, that's more or less what happened. I was trying to figure it out today, too, um, because I remember seeing it in the theater. I was like, okay, wait, what? <laughs> what did I just see? Yeah, um, it isn't explained super well. And in fact, it just makes the whole thing even more complicated, needlessly complicated, personally. But that's more or less what it is. She was born asexually. Um, and then her mom died soon after that. So you go. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now, since we're on the topic of that, we can explore that a little bit because it ultimately has no real significance to the plot. The only thing I could gather is that B.D. Wong's character, who is playing the same character from the very first film, he creates these locusts, like these giant locusts, that are ravaging the farm, like the food production type crops in the world. Right. I believe they're doing that in order to kind of like the classic scenario of create a problem that you have the solution to. So everybody will have to turn to Biosyn to save the day. Classic villain plot of the world. He He's created the problem, but the only way he could possibly fix it is through using Maisie's DNA and Blue's DNA, and that will somehow kill the locusts? Yeah. So the reason why they released the locusts uh, is to take out all of the uh, crops that are not Biosyn's crops. Um, When when Ellie Sather comes on, she mentions this. She's like, oh, why? I noticed that they're only, I forget the line, but she's like, basically like, oh, I noticed they're only killing, you know, competitor competitor crops, the Biosyn crops are mm-hmm. not touched right so what they're doing is That's true basically they're releasing they've released these locusts to take out any kind of competitor um so that way they can 
That way Biosyn can have control, right? It's uh, squandering those below you to, you know, make yourself more money, basically. Make yourself the only, a monopoly, basically, right? It's, I think it's the antitrust part of it that, you know, Biosyn's working with is they are more or less trying to take out any any competition so that way they can be the only ones in control. So as for what that has to do with um, (laughs) Blue's DNA, and Maisie's DNA, I have no clue. The, that just seems to be some random thing to give their, uh, I guess, that, you know, it's just something that's just there to make Maisie a little <laughs> bit more special, I guess, and give her something to do in this film. Because if it wasn't for that, yeah. she would have nothing to do in this film. Yep. That's yep. the only thing I can think of because it just, it doesn't, I don't, I'm with you. It doesn't, I don't see the connection between why her DNA would fix the problem with the giant locusts that are around the earth. I don't know. Yeah. Especially because he creates the locusts, but he doesn't know how to essentially uncreate them, Mm -hmm. which to me seems like utterly ridiculous. And also, uh, yeah. So I thought what he was going to say is he could combine these two like asexual, you know, reproduced creatures and they could cure like, alzheimer's or something or they could cure cancer they could do something really incredible with these like new scientific discoveries but no we're just going to use it to create a pesticide for locusts or something it's really bizarre and ultimately who gives a care right honestly right so but you're exactly right that's exactly what i put in my notes baby raptor no point except to give uh essentially Maisie owen and Sam Neill's character something to do in the plot because at the end, it, I know we're I, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. I haven't really said anything positive, but you come to realize they're not quite sure how to blend the old and new characters, and they're so stinking many of them. They're not sure how to create enough plots for them to do anything. That's that's ultimately very frustrating to me. The whole baby raptor situation mm-hmm. has nothing to do with anything except saving Blue and getting her back to her mom. I mean, that's like a children's cartoon plot. Right. There is, they try to make some kind of connection between Blue and Blue's uh, baby Beta because Blue gave birth asexually, right? And so that's how Maisie came into the world is she was... she. Her mom gave birth to her asexually. So there's some kind of connection there between Blue and Beta and Maisie and her mom. As for what that is, uh, I got no clue. <laughs> it, it seems to be okay. that it's just that DNA portion could be this, the solution to this giant locust problem. Um, but that is so unexplored that it almost is like not even part of the plot anymore. So no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you. It it when it, especially, especially when it gets to the end, right? You've got all of these characters that are just going, that are being attacked by this giant dinosaur, you know, for half an hour, um, it just becomes way too much, right? Because we, at this point in the story, right, everyone's finally come together, but it's all for very loose reasons. Like everyone's just there because they're just there, right? Because that's, you know, the plot yeah. asks for that to happen, not necessarily that they came for any organic reason. Um, no. Because among all of the, you know, the mainline characters, you've also got this new, pilot character that comes out of nowhere oh, yeah. from Malta. Solo? Yeah. Yeah. Um, who ultimately has nothing to do in this film except to be the one to get Owen and Claire close enough to the Biosyn HQ. 
That's about it. Yeah, that's ultimately a very kind of shocking and frustrating point is there's essentially two different movies, two separate plots, you could say, between the old characters and the new characters. Mm. They only by chance come into play together at the very end towards, I would say, the start of the third act probably is when they all have to become fast friends because they don't know each other. They don't know anything about each other. They just have to work together. They've never even heard of each other as far as I could tell. I don't know. It's really weird, especially because these three were the originators at the Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. So you think there should be some kind of connection set up throughout at least the trilogy with um, Bryce Dallas Howard's character since she ran Jurassic World. And there's really no connection there whatsoever. Um, there, Yeah. Also, there's no character arcs for like anybody yeah. in this movie. Pretty much. Yeah. There, there really trilogy. isn't much that these characters <laughs> learn. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, Alan, I'll say this. If I have to see Chris Pratt stick out his hand <laughs> towards a dinosaur one more time, I'm going to yep. lose it. I'm sick of it. Yep. That happened. And this one, especially, th that happens so much in this movie. It gets, it, it, it goes beyond comical and just kind of gets annoying, like you said. <laughs> you know, it just happens every time there's a dinosaur out, he sticks out his hand to stop it. Right, as if he has some kind of control yeah. over it or whatever. He can, you know, he can be the one to settle it down or something. He's like, you know, the it's dinosaur hilarious. whisperer or whatever. Yeah. Every time, without fail, anytime there's a dinosaur on screen, he's the one to stick out his fail. hand. Uh, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I put in my notes. Chris Pratt used the force. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty much, he pretty does much. use the force. Yeah. Which is funny because, you know, in the background we mentioned Trevorrow was going to work on the Star Wars finale and then was end up moving mm -hmm. to this film. So he he did he said he brought some of those yeah. the things he learned from that. So I guess he brought the force a lot yep. more, brought the force a lot force oh, yeah. a lot more into this movie, I guess, with that. Or something. I don't know. Well, and I, I think it's also the fact of blending the old with the new because the the sequel Star Wars trilogy had, you know, Han, Luke, and Leia meeting up with Finn and Poe mm -hmm. and and Rey. I gosh, I can't even remember their names. They're so forgettable. <laughs> but yeah, you can see this. I, and this is very popular right now. Oh, yeah. We've got Cobra Kai on Netflix, which is, you know, the old Karate Kid with the new. We've got Star Wars doing it, this doing it. It's incredibly popular. Sometimes I think it's fails. Sometimes it's it's not, but... I don't know what what else you can expect. Right. Um, okay. Do let's let's say something positive. So we haven't said anything positive yet. There are new dinosaurs in this movie. Uh, I think the dinosaurs that appeal to me are these kind of uh, feathery dinosaurs, these almost bird-like dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. um, that scene where uh, I can't even remember her Claire. I think her name's Claire. Bryce Dallas Howard's character. Oh yeah, Bryce Dallas Howard. Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, it's clear. So she parachutes out of the plane, which just puts her in more mortal danger than if she would have just stayed with them and crash landed. She would have been safer. But I mean, yep. plot, you know, plot must demand it. Yep. Anyways, there's that giant. I mean, Arnie on uh, now playing calls it the Freddy Krueger dinosaur <laughs> with these creepy, you know, hands and it's like blind. I think that thing looks pretty frightening, honestly. Yeah, though there are, I'll say there are some pretty cool designs of the for the design 
for dinosaurs in this movie. And just kind of going just beyond designs in general, right? The CGI in this film, I think, is probably the best it's ever been. Um, there are times when the animatronics don't look so great, but uh, <laughs> yeah, in terms obvious. of CGI and the dinosaurs, I think this does look rather convincing. Um, it obviously, it's used a little bit too much than I would like, but at least it looks good. I will definitely agree with that. Um, and when they crash land on the ice, which I know some people have brought up, what kind of climate is this you know place they crash land on because mm -hmm. they crash land on the ice but there's also a tropical rainforest uh, I, I don't know they're on also the altitude seems to be about the same so i'm not really sure i understand how that works i don't know. um in the realm of <laughs> in the realm of physics but that's when they're also chased by that like bird raptor dinosaur so i think as far as action goes in this movie there is some decent action that i'm i'm at least engaged with some of these chases yeah no i'll agree with you the one that stands out to me the most is probably the entirety of the malta scene because that one goes on for a long time mm -hmm. but i and while it does go on for a long time which could be seen as a negative and it partially is a negative for me it is still fun i'll admit that you know while things kind of just yeah. and on at times just kind of drag or at times just, I guess drag is a, a bad word, but at least at times feel like we're only taking a tiny step forward, right? And then this whole scene happens. I'm still having fun, right? I can't deny that I'm not having mm -hmm. fun to watch this movie, even though it is kind of a mess. <laughs> it is still a fun mess oh, yeah. to watch, you know? I think Malta is probably the biggest uh, highlight for that exact, you know, what exactly what I'm saying, a great example, where, you know, Malta goes on for a super long time. Like the scene in Malta goes on for a, it feels like 20 minutes, right? Which in movie times are like super long. Um, but I'm having fun. I'm having fun while we're there. I was a little bit surprised because given what happened last time, um, I wasn't expecting much from this film. So when I'm there and I'm sitting and I'm having fun watching it, even though I know it's not great, I'm like, okay, I'll give it something, right? At least I'm having a little bit of enjoyment from this. I was not expecting that. And that's exactly it. That is what I put in my notes. I said, while there's no real fresh original content here, I mean, honestly, after this year at the sixth installment, really, what are you going to do that's different? And they, we'll, we'll talk about it here. I think they rip off a lot of different movies. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not fresh and original per se. The question is, are you having fun with it? Mm -hmm. And I can agree with you, Alan. I'm having fun with this Jurassic adventure. And honestly, these movies were never really about great narratives. I don't think any of these movies had a great narrative except for probably the first one. And I'm talking about Jurassic Park. All of these other narratives, I think, have been fairly bad. But are you here for fun? Are you here for some thrills to see some cool dinosaurs? I said, yeah, I'm having fun with it. Right. But... Going back to the, uh, the Malta scene, does this Malta scene with Chris Pratt on a on a bike remind you of any other Universal movie with an action star? Uh, my, I don't know, maybe James Bond or something. Uh, <laughs> maybe Jason Bourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the Bourne <laughs> Ultimatum is. Oh yeah. Exactly. Oh, there's a shot in this movie <laughs> when I, I I think it's a I think it's one of the one of the killer dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's a 
Velociraptor, I don't know. But there's a shot in this movie where the raptor jumps from a rooftop into a window that's pulled straight from the Bourne Ultimatum. It's almost exactly like it is from the yes, Bourne Ultimatum. Yes, that is almost a one-for-one recreation of that shot. You're right. Yeah, no, th- this Malta scene, honestly, the first half of this movie is just Jurassic Park spy movie. <laughs> once it gets, once they finally make it around the area of, you know, of Biosyn's HQ, then it starts turning into more of a Jurassic Park movie. But for the first half of this film, it's a Jurassic Park spy movie akin to Jason Bourne and akin to James Bond. Yeah, I was also thinking of more of the recent Mission Impossible movies. Felt like they were pulled oh, yeah. from that too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, so I'm getting Star Wars vibes because I called it out earlier. This new lady on her ship, cough, cough, the Millennium Falcon. She's she's essentially like Han Solo. How she's a smuggler. Yeah, pretty much. Just like Han Solo. Smuggled his stuff in and she goes from scoundrel to good guy. And I'm like, okay, so you're, you got Han Solo. We've got Jason Bourne now, essentially. I'm also thinking of some of the, I'm thinking of like the original journey to the center of the earth with some of these creatures, maybe the new one, I don't know, that this is essentially taking all of those movies and mashing them up and just putting dinosaurs into them. I got to say, probably my biggest compliment and also my biggest disappointment are this, <laughs> unfortunately, the same thing, right? Um, it's okay. It's all centered around Biosyn. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's no secret that Biosyn is meant to be some kind of reflection of Apple, right? No surprise. Um, the HQ of Biosyn looks like the Apple Space Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CEO of Biosyn whatever his name is. I forget his name. I have it written mm. down somewhere. Looks like Tim Apple. Uh, it's no secret Tim Apple. that they're going for. I think you made yeah, Tim yeah. Cook. It's no secret that they're going for, you know, they're going for the image of Apple to be the face of Biosyn. Yeah, that's right? true. Um, the reason why I think it's interesting, um, the reason why from what I'm picking up here is they – since you know, we find out pretty quick, right, that Biosyn is all about control, right? They're trying to con- the biggest thing is with the locusts, right? They made the locusts to take out the other company's crops so that way only their crops are the ones that people can buy because they're the only ones that are trustworthy, right? They're wanting that control. They want to bring in Maisie and Beta so they can do research on them, right? They have control on all these different elements, right? So it, I from what I'm seeing. The allegory here is that they have we have these giant companies like Apple who have their hands in so much of our lives, right? You know, from owning an iPhone or whatever, like their decisions that they make can affect the way that we live, right? That's just how it is, right? The que- I think the big question here is how much should we give these companies that kind of control over our lives? Because they also control dinosaurs and all kinds of stuff, right? I think that's super interesting, and I really like that idea. The problem I have is I just don't know what that has to do with dinosaurs. It's a good idea. I think it's a super interesting and important question. I just don't understand where dinosaurs fit into all of this, right? I think the control part is maybe there, but we're talking about a tech company, not necessarily, you know, whatever Biosyn is in this film. Yeah, I liked it better the first time when it was Skynet and Terminator 
where kind of this all encompassing mm-hmm. tech giant trying to take over the world. Yeah, once again, you're bringing up another point, just kind of borrowing an idea from real life, but also from other, you know, more beloved movies, 80s franchises. That's a good point because when Ellie comes to, I cannot remember Sam Neill's character's name. Alan Grant. Alan, that's it. When Ellie comes to Alan, she's like, hey, I brought this locust. And he says, not my area. And she's like, somehow convinces him that it is his area. And she she guilt trips, she him, guilt into trips him into it. Yeah. Serendipity would have it that um, Jeff Goldblum's guy character is giving talks there. And he's they're They're all trying to figure out this nefarious plot. It it doesn't have anything to do with dinosaurs at all. It, it is once again tangentially connected because they got the engineer of the dinosaurs, B.D. Wong, to engineer the locusts. So once again, everything's, you know, connected with, you know, bubblegum and shoestrings and whatnot. I did actually kind of yeah. like the creation of these locusts because I thought maybe they're trying to not just create dinosaurs anymore, but other prehistoric creatures. Uh, of course, that isn't the plot unfortunately that would be kind of cool if they right. were recreating more of a prehistoric age um they didn't they missed the opportunity but you're definitely right um it's nothing to do with dinosaurs that's that's a very good point yeah I, and i was sitting here watching this film and i was like this is such an interesting idea why did it have to be put into a interesting <laughs> world movie you know it, it just i think that's my biggest disappointment right is that you know this is an interesting idea interesting theme of course it's nothing super new but it, you know it's at least at the very least thought provoking it just doesn't fit within this film i think that's probably the biggest thing about it right it it, it doesn't i don't i'm finding it a hard time to see where this big puzzle piece fits within the grand scheme of things right i i get the idea i get kind of get what they're going for but when it's all said and done it just doesn't fit, I feel, which I think that's, again, that's just my, unfortunately, my biggest disappointment um, because, you know, had it been pulled off, I think it could have been pulled off rather well, mm-hmm. but eh, not so much here. And you're right. The rest of this plot is really held together by very, very thin threads, mm-hmm. right? It's strange that Ellie Sadler, uh, Ellie Sadler would go to Dr. Alan Grant because she he's the only one who you know would do this or whatever they, there's not a whole lot of reason given and it feels kind of strange that she would go to him after not talking to him for who knows how many years to go and infiltrate basically infiltrate biosyn and then yeah like you said like luck would have it uh ian malcolm's there giving talks he's on staff there by the way <laughs> you know it all feels unfortunately uh rather coincidental not exactly organic. Yeah. What'd you think of um, Trevorrow's decision to change what Joe Johnston did in Jurassic Park 3, where Ellie was married with a child and her and Alan never ended up together. But according to this film, she's divorced and they're supposedly going to live happily ever after. Maybe you don't really tie that one up very well. Yeah, I felt it was rushed. I know that there's always been some like weird tension between the two of them, right? Since the beginning, right? That's just mm-hmm. how it is. Um, it, to me, the way that they did it here, they just they really rushed it because it doesn't feel 
like it was really earned when they had that kiss at the very end. It kind of felt like it was a bit more forced. Like this is it's more it's more for fan service than it Bingo. is for like an actual like plot development. Yep. Unfortunately, that that's kind of what I got out of it at the very end. That you know it it kind of danced around this whole thing the whole time and like really openly mm-hmm. about it. Right, it wasn't very subtle about you know Alan Grant still has a thing for out for Ellie. Yep. Um, and Ellie might have something for him. Who knows <laughs> until the very end, right? It felt it was definitely more fan service than anything else. That's really all it was. Yeah, no, that's that's true. It was fan service because as fans, I think a lot of people were upset that they bring him back for JP three, and there's no yeah. there. I mean, she has a glorified cameo in that movie, essentially. And I, right. I, I will say the one thing I, I guess I at least appreciate is getting to see this original trio come back for Jurassic Adventure probably one last time. And they're all on screen together, mm-hmm. too, doing something. I mean, what whatever that something is, who cares, right? But right. at least they're right. doing something. It's fun because we only got to see it in the first. Ian Malcolm had a solo adventure in the second. Third was kind of a weird thing at least we get to see them kind of have their adventure. And that's something we never got to see the Star Wars sequel trilogy do. They never had Han, Luke, and Leia share the screen together ever for that trilogy, which is shocking and terrible mistake. <laughs> but anyways, right, right. Um, oh, the one thing I was going to say is the villain, this, you know, Tim, Tim Cook, Tim Apple wannabe is... The Tim Apple villain, yeah. <laughs> the Tim Apple villain, He's, I, I found him to be incredibly bland. Yeah, yeah, he is very bland. They try to give him some kind of quirk. Like when he's introduced, he's very strange. And he asks, oh, I forget his name. Uh, the partner for Ian Malcolm in Biosyn, um, he asked me if he has any food on him for some reason. And he goes, no. And he goes, yeah. Okay. And then like walks away. <laughs> he's made out to be like super awkward. He has some weird tick. They try to give him some weird tick thing. Like, I think they also give him, like, nuts or something like mm-hmm. that to eat every once yeah. in a while for random times. Yeah, you're right. He's very, very bland and very strange. And I don't know. I didn't like him much. He He's obviously, you know, uh, supposed to portray uh, Tim Cook. But it's, like, you know, to a really strange degree. It, it is. Yeah. So, thoughts on the returning cast. Do you think that they were... Uh, do you think that there was a good reason for them to bring it back? Do you think that the reason that they brought them back was good enough? Or do you think that they're just here for nostalgia's sake? Yeah. No, they're just here for nostalgia's sake because they, I mean, there's nothing special that they bring. There's no unique traits. Whereas with, at least in the first film, the characters were given like, unique insights because they were paleontologists or they had studied dinosaurs. They were able to interact with these new creatures in ways only they could. Unfortunately, they don't have anything like that to do here. Um, I know it's just incredibly basic and really underserves their characters, which is very disappointing how um, Ellie and Claire have to go shut off these switches, which is reminiscent of Ellie shutting off the switch in the very first film. There's no brains to it whatsoever. Right. Malcolm is the one. And that that's a funny scene, though, when Malcolm is giving them directions, the third third from the bottom or fourth from the top, same difference. Uh, yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah. 
And then Grant goes off with Maisie and Chris Pratt, Owen. And that's just to rescue the raptor. Unfortunately, Alan, who knows so much about raptors, which we know from Jurassic Park 3, has no nothing to do. He just listens to Maisie's director. Owen, you go right, I'll go left. He does not provide any insight whatsoever. So it's fun to see them back, but there's no point to their being here whatsoever. I agree. I think uh, Alan Grant's character is harmed the most mm. in this in this movie because you're right. I think he has just nothing to do here. Most of the time, it's either him like kind of in this situation awkwardly <laughs> or he's, you know, trying not to let Ali Sether know that he actually likes her, right? Yeah. That, it, it's this, this weird tension with him this whole time, um, which is very, very strange. Um, I would argue that, you know, Alan and Ian Malcolm don't really have a whole lot to do. Ian Malcolm has a little bit more because he's actually like part of the inn for them to actually start exposing Biosyn. So at least, you know, that's something. Alan Grant, if he was not in this movie at all, nothing really would have changed, I don't think. Mm -hmm. That's true. Which is unfortunate because he's like, you know, he's like probably, if of, of all the characters that are in all the mm -hmm. movies, he's probably the most recognizable one because oh, yeah. he was like the main character in the original one. He was a, one of the main characters in the third one, right? So... You know, he's kind of a big, you know, he's kind of like the, almost like the face of Jurassic Park in a way. Doesn't have much to do here, unfortunately. So I think that these characters, these returning characters, um, I, my fear was going into this that they were only here for nostalgia's sake. And I think I'm walking out with, with the same fear. I think Elias Sadler has a little bit more to do. I think that her character fits a lot better than uh, Alan Grant's and maybe even Ian Malcolm. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't really feel like they needed to be here. That's my thing. I think that they're really only here because that's going to make the most money. That's, you know, everyone's, everyone, everyone recognizes them, right? That's the big nostalgia grab. Yeah, I will agree with that. And I think if we're going to go full nostalgia and make things wrap around a little bit better, they should have, I think they should have probably brought back the kids from the first film. And made yeah. them, yeah. I mean, um, I don't remember the the black guy, what have, whatever his character's name, the assistant. That probably should have been like one of the kids from the first one, like the son or the daughter. And then there could have been more of an emotional connection there. They could have been some high level up at Biosyn, maybe even make them somewhat of a conflicted villain. I don't know. I just think that would have been the smart thing to do or even get BD Wong out of there. I mean, his character arc is stupid as can be make, um, make the little boy from the first Jurassic park film, make him want to follow in those footsteps. And he grows up to create these locusts or he grows up to create some kind of prehistoric creature that he has, you know, to face. Uh, I think that's just a missed opportunity. Yeah, no, I agree. Having something like that would have been really interesting. You know, having, like you said, that, conflicted villain where you know the traumatic past that he had in Jurassic Park kind of led him to maybe even dive deeper into you know gaining control especially over these dinosaurs you know after what happened maybe that would have been some kind of lead into well, you know why they would want to do whatever they're doing yeah. right I agree that would have been you know a bit better of a reason than you know, whatever we have here right you know at least we have something some kind of emotional connection there it might not be you know a super big one unless they flesh it out but it's still something, right? Mm -hmm. 
another thing too with these characters that I was really wondering, and the film really never answers it, is what were they doing while these dinosaurs were roaming the earth, right? Because all three of them were there for, you know, and were, are tra- and were basically traumatized with what happened in the original Jurassic Park film, right? And doubly so for both Alan Grant and uh, Ian Malcolm because they had to go back twice mm-hmm. for each mm-hmm. of them. You know, what were they doing? What are, what are their thoughts? What are, you know... What I'm, I'm really curious to know what they would, what they were doing, or what their thoughts were, and that kind of stuff when the dinosaurs were released on the mainland. Because you know, a lot of people, they would be the ones who I feel would have the most insight, or at least have the most thoughts on stuff like this. But we don't ever get any of that. It's really not what this home dives, in, dives into. Yeah, it's kind of like these characters were like, I don't know, preserved in amber, like the mosquito, because. Grant is still digging up fossils, but he's giving tours to teenagers playing on their cell phones in order to fund his research still. And I guess Ellie was sick of being a housewife and her son went off to college. Yeah, they have no perspective on on the decision to release the dinosaurs. And I think that's also incredibly frustrating that Claire releases the dinosaurs. Well, she contributes to the thought, but Maisie releases the dinosaurs in the end of the second one, and there's really right. no repercussions for her. There's there's no like moral fallout, especially because we see Blue like hovering over the suburbs in the end of the second one, which leads us to believe there's going to be some really dire consequences, and there's nothing like that of the kind, and there's no... You know, the Alan Grant I know would have given these people a good scolding and would have, you know, been like, you idiots, do you realize what what it is to release a raptor into an unknown population? You know, there's nothing like that. It's right. so disappointing. But we clearly know the screenwriter's mind is not on character arcs or logic. It's just dinosaur action and yeah. a passable that- villain. To get us through. Yeah. And that dinosaur action really starts to interfere with the progression of this plot. Because especially when it gets towards the end of this movie. Because it feels like we, you know, we take one step forward mm. and then we get sidetracked by a dinosaur that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The probably the biggest example for me was when they crash land in the ice, right? And then we, they crash land in the ice and all of a sudden they get attacked by a dinosaur. Not only there, but also uh Claire gets attacked. And then when they join back together, then they get attacked again. Right. So it's like every five seconds there is something that goes wrong. Whenever when things have to go wrong, they go wrong. Right. Not that they go wrong for any good reason. Right. It just feels like you know, we take one step forward and then we get totally sidetracked. Another great example is the very end when the girls have to, well, the team has to split up, right? So uh, Ellie and Claire go to turn on whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Alan and uh, Owen go to do something else, right? They get they get into what they needed to get in, but oh, we can't do it because we don't have enough power. So we have to go do this thing to f- get to the next area, right? This film, this movie just gets sidetracked so often that it just becomes, it becomes like it's inching forward. The plot is just inching forward at a snail's pace because every five seconds they're getting sidetracked by something that has nothing to do with anything Mm -hmm. other than just to have some fun dino action. Well, not to mention there's at least, there's also, I think there's too many characters in this 
Um, oh, yeah. Not to mention when they get in that helicopter thing at the end, that thing doesn't a have enough seats and probably isn't like rated to hold that much weight. So they probably couldn't have flown out of there anyways. Um, just from a practical perspective, it's just kind of ridiculous. They're all piling in that that helicopter. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a dinosaur fight at the end. That's really all that matters, I guess. But you're right. Mm -hmm. It gets so distracted. There's too many tangents and there's too many problems. So the forest is on fire. And of course, we have to wrap up the villain getting that acid spit in the face from those dinosaurs, just like the bad guy Newman from the first Jurassic Park. And then yep. Claire yep. is in so much trouble all the time, which didn't even make sense for her to eject out of the plane in the first place just to create more of a you know, plot frustration. I don't know. Um, yeah, there's just too much going on. Um, and like you said, even in Malta, there's Claire fighting this guy and there's a couple different smugglers they're fighting and the CIA's there too. And then there's like heat seeking mm -hmm. raptors, a lot of ideas and they just kind of mashed them all together. But I will say, I think my biggest frustration is I feel this a little bit about the Star Wars sequel characters, but Claire and Owen, Owen especially, does not change or grow as a character whatsoever. He is literally like mm -hmm. a mannequin that they just kind of move from scene to scene. I think he's probably the worst character in this whole movie is the fact that he, especially because he's a central character and he learns nothing he really does nothing except, you know, just rescue people. I mean, he's one of the most underwritten characters, I think, in recent memory in, in major movies. Yeah, we did. I remember we did mention this earlier, but the characterization of this movie is just not great. Uh, and to be fair, there are a ton of characters. So how can you balance all of them? Um, Marvel answered this question by give every character their own film <laughs> and then we'll balance them that way. Right. Um, so. No, you're right. There really isn't much that any of these characters really learn, right? It, I guess maybe you could say that Owen learns to uh, live peacefully with these dinosaurs because, you know, he has that issue with, uh, he has, you know, him and Maisie and Claire, right? Maisie is always wanting to get out, but they want to protect Claire because they know, you know, people are looking for her. And in the end, maybe that's fixed. I don't, I don't know. Right. It's, I'm, I'm pulling straws here. Right. Yeah. Because you bring up a good point. Right. The characterization here is so weak, especially with Owen, because Owen himself doesn't is such a central character. But from the beginning and from the end, he is the exact same. And if there is any characterization here, it's so subtle that it's not it's not part of the story. It feels like the biggest thing here is, you know, the plot with Biosyn. Biosyn is the one that is, you know, supposed to be the big thematic draw for all of this. But even then, like we mentioned, that big thematic draw really just doesn't fit with dinosaurs. So it really makes for a very strange and incomplete feeling film when it's all said and done because it's supposed to be the finale, right? But uh, nothing really feels very finale about, finale about it because nothing... nothing I think really built up to this moment thematically, it feels like. Yeah, no, no, there was nothing. I would say there was nothing really quite set up in the beginning of this movie that would lead us to any sort of conclusion as to 
what's the main obstacle these characters have to overcome because there are so many mm -hmm. tangents with the locust just kind of coming out of nowhere and that causes the old characters to come back and then the new characters their daughter is kidnapped and they have to go globe trotting in order to save her it's just weird the other thing is this is one of the things that made me think of what you were talking what you know you were talking about how these dinosaurs are like just kind of assimilating into the world what is the point of owen now being a modern day cowboy and wrangling dinosaurs in the beginning that's i mean it's a kind of a cool fun scene but what does he do with these dinosaurs what are they doing and they're just living up in the woods like hermits i right what was the point of that he's what was the point of him wrangling the dinosaurs? i don't know i i think it's meant to show you know kind of like how humans ended up learning to uh you know domesticate how horses and like train and tame horses right it's kind of maybe the same thing mm -hmm. um where they're able to wrangle uh dinosaurs now that's the only thing i can really pull from it is you know that beginning of dinosaurs being brought into you know nature like it should like maybe it, like it you know as if it was always there kind of a thing yeah um I, there is that there is that the the at least the visual of you know coexisting uh, but you know, it's really only between, you know, the existing nature and the dinosaurs and humans are also just there. Mm -hmm. so. I think that's, yeah, that puts it into perspective. I think that's right because in the beginning, man is trying to tame the dinosaurs and in the end, we get a bunch of shots of just dinosaurs roaming with other creatures and we just need to learn them, let them go free, I guess. I mean, who cares though, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. No, the biggest theme here is control, right? I think control is by far, you know, the biggest one that's in this film, right? Of course, you've got Biosyn and you've got the humans, like we were seeing in the beginning here, trying to wrangle and control the dinosaurs, right? Control is by far the biggest theme here. And it's the let and it's the not necessarily the control that's the point, it's the coexisting that's the point, right? I think that's kind of what they're going for. Um, uh, now, of course, they, you could have explored more for all, you know, as we're talking about it. But I think that's kind of what they're trying to visually show from the beginning versus the end, right? From the beginning, we're trying to tame, we're trying to wrangle these dinosaurs. And by the end, they're running along with the horses. That's the point, I think. Even Kevin Javar, from what I've read, is that's the point he was trying to make, right? Is that, you know, coexistence hmm. is, you know, the key here. Okay. Um, that's what he's saying. Yeah. No, not, not exciting. Don't care. No, I'm with you. It's it's really it's really interesting. Well, not really interesting, but it's it's interesting of how he went to how he wanted to go about it. I can't say it was pulled off very well, personally. Are we are we ready for the for the ratings? One more thing. Franklin works for the CIA now. Oh, yeah. Don't remind <laughs> me. He works for the CIA, and that's what kickstarts this whole plot. Also, he helped smuggle a dinosaur out from captivity in the very beginning and then goes right back the next day to work at his job in the CIA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he had to quit smuggling dinosaurs because he has the opportunity to get a real job. So he quits ah, right. to go work for the CIA and not just low-level CIA, like clearly some kind of high-level CIA to have access to this information. Right. He's got clearance to know who Biosyn is, what mercenary Biosyn is working with. And yeah. where they're going to be to make 
the trade. Uh, and he's just, okay. you know, sitting out in the open air, you know, in the CIA headquarters and talking about this with a couple of his <laughs> friends, right? Not, yep. you know, NDA at all. Nope, not NDA, no no trade secrets, nothing. Yeah. So right. this is the writer saying, okay, we've got this character from the last movie and he was this big scaredy cat and we have no idea how to write him into this movie and we don't want him in this movie. So let's just make him the CIA connection. It's a crazy leap. It it makes no oh, yeah. sense whatsoever. Yeah. When they cut to him at the CIA, I'm like, what? <laughs> because of all the things, right? Of all the things that you could have written him to do, this be you know, working for the CIA is kind of a huge one, right? Well, to me, this is Universal owns the Bourne property. This is them mm. just going back to the Bourne well and saying, let's just let's just harken back to some of that nostalgia of these spy movies that we own. And they do. They right. want to make this a globe-trotting spy movie. And they really do for part of it. It's kind of shocking. But honestly, I'm glad to get him out of uh, Justice Smith. I'm glad to get him out of this plot. He was pretty awful in the last movie. And I was really frustrated to see they were picking back up with these characters to begin with. And thankfully, they're unceremoniously ushered out of the film. Yeah. Yeah. They don't spend much time here in the beginning. Once they go up to Malta, that's the last we see of them. I guess also, um, legally, you can just take a child um, and adopt them as your own, and doesn't yeah doesn't matter. I don't know. No repercussions at all. Yeah, the uh, child protective services won't come after you at all. Yeah. No. Nope. Right. No. No child services. The authorities don't come after you for releasing dinosaurs into the population or onto the mainland. Um, nope. It's totally legal. Yep. Life goes on. <laughs> as if it always had just with dinosaurs now in the mix pretty much all right alan what is your i'm i'm curious about this one because we've said a lot of negative but you did say you were having fun so i've i actually have no idea where you're going do you do you what is your rating and recommendation for jurassic world dominion the only thing i can really think of coming out of this is that um I kind of just want to go and watch the Bourne trilogy again because that mm. first half is just, you know, it just becomes a spy movie. It's basically Jason Bourne, um, but with dinosaurs, right? Um, and the second half becomes a little bit more like Jurassic Park again. This movie is a mess. Um, it kind of goes every direction with very little to lead them into that direction. Uh, every time they make, every time they, every time they take a step forward, they're then distracted, and we have a action scene with the dinosaur. It makes for a, a confusing film, to say the least, because it doesn't, you know, it, there's nothing really locked down, right? However, because it's kind of a mess and it isn't really locked down, the change in genre from the first half to the second half, right? Where first half is a spy movie, second half is a Jurassic Park movie, right? More of a survival-like film. You know, it does make for, you know, at least something that is shockingly and interestingly, you know, enjoyable. Not great. It's not It's, it's not good. But it's strangely enjoyable. Um, 
I want to go back and see it again at some point. I'm kind of just dreading that runtime because two and a half hours is way too long. Um, but I do want to go back and watch it again to see if my enjoyment remains the same or similar levels as I'm as I did when I walked out. I don't think it's very good at all. I think it kind of sucks. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it a not recommend, but I can't deny that I did have a little bit of fun with this one. Um, it is all over the place, but it does have some of those redeeming qualities to at least make me say I had fun. Jurassic World Dominion gets one thing right. If you can't come up with any new ideas, then milk the old ones, but make sure you do them with nostalgic fanfare. Starting with the already trite first installment in the new sequel trilogy, followed by the utterly bizarre, abysmal second installment, Dominion had a low hurdle to overcome. Now we finally round out this supposed trilogy with characters we don't care about, therefore characters we used to care about are shoehorned into the plot to buzz interest and boost ticket sales. Honestly, I forgot the old characters were even in this movie until I saw them appear on screen. They add nothing to the plot, except the charm which is sorely lacking from the mannequin-esque new characters. Thankfully, they don't clash too hard in their scenes together. What is painfully obvious is the fact Universal had a loose arc to begin with, but no real roadmap, like, just like Disney with the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Putting the previous two entries aside, this sixth film is in fact my second favorite entry in the entire franchise. Interesting. <laughs> Looking back at my scores, that's not saying much, but all they had to do was create an exciting Jurassic adventure. It didn't have to necessarily make sense, but they had to at the very least wow me with pretty dinosaurs to distract me from the fact they had no idea what they were doing. For the reasons that I had fun along with the adventure, I got tensed up, I liked the new dinosaurs. I'm giving Jurassic World Dominion 6 stars out of 10 with a weak recommend, but I do hope this sixth installment will be the franchise's last. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess we had two different definitions of fun, but <laughs> it sounds like we're still on the same page. Uh -huh. Yep. Fun enough for me to recommend it and for me to be like, you know what? I kind of want to see that again. But so looking at my scores, I gave a six to Jurassic Park 2 and Jurassic Park 3. I probably found this one to be a little bit more entertaining and exciting, probably because it's essentially a recreation of those Bourne movies or other movies that I like. They're just mashing them up together. Um, I did actually rate the first Jurassic World a 7 out of 10. The more I think about that, the more I think I would probably drop that down to a 6. And so if I'm just grabbing movies on the shelf, I'm going to grab Jurassic Park. And then I'm probably going to pick this one next because there's enough, enough here for me to find interesting and not to find like, I don't know, just those, just those other movies I just found to be bad. And the more I think sure. about Jurassic World, the more it just puts a bad taste in my mouth because that truly is like just a, almost a straight ripoff of the first Jurassic Park. Is Eerie coming to my side now? <laughs> on Jurassic I'm, World. 
I'm coming over to your side. Yeah, your score was a five out of ten. Not recommend. But um, if you could rank this trilogy of this new trilogy, how would you rank the new trilogy? Rank the new trilogy. Um, they're all really low. <laughs> so I guess if I go by ranking, I guess technically it's by Jurassic World, Jurassic World Dominion, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, one, two, three. In terms of enjoyment, it would probably be Jurassic World Dominion first. Then maybe Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but only because it's so bad that's good. And then last is Jurassic World. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you didn't recommend any of the new trilogy. Um, <laughs> you didn't recommend any. I did recommend two out of the three. Just that second installment is just hot garbage it's utterly bizarre mm-hmm. um i've re- yeah I, I actually i recommended all of them except fallen kingdom i eked out park two and three um our overall averages are close my average is a six out of ten for the entire franchise your average is a five out of ten for the entire franchise. So you're just kind of straight down the middle, just like, eh. Yeah, the the best one, of course, is that original one, right? It has the most yeah. going for it. Um, everything else past that is subpar, um, unfortunately. I think, to my recollection, and I haven't seen Jurassic Park 2, Lost World, since I, whenever we reviewed it, but from my recollection, that one was probably the second best in terms of being, you know, what a, you know, like a Jurassic Park film, right? Um, and then three ended up being more of a, a copycat before you get into this new trilogy, which is a totally different story. So it has been a while since I've seen those. I mean, I haven't watched them since we reviewed them. So mm-hmm. I would like to kind of go back and revisit some of these, um, like Fallen Kingdom, maybe even Jurassic Park 2, Lost World. But... Five sounds about right. Yeah, it's we're we're coming up on uh, getting close to half a decade since we reviewed those. So yeah, mm-hmm. they might be overdue for a maybe not overdue, but just due for a rewatching just to to see. I mean that that Jurassic World three without credits is like eighty minutes long. It is so yeah. short, very short. Yeah, they had nothing to really do. <laughs> Ever do or say in that movie, except the talking raptor. That's yeah. Except (laughs) the best part about that movie is the talking raptor. Mm -hmm. Well, Alan, would you add this one to your collection? Is this a pickup or pass? Maybe. (laughs) If I would get it, it would be for like a dollar. Okay. That's maybe five bucks. That would be. I wouldn't go anything past five bucks. And that's pushing it. I would go past five bucks. I would go five bucks and 99 cents. Fair enough. That's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I caught this on a Black Friday sale for like five ninety nine, I would probably pick it up just because at this point I own all five of them. And if I'm going to own Kingdom, which I don't know why I do, I, I picked up Kingdom for like $4 on Blu-ray or something. So gotcha. just to have them all, I would add it. All right, Corbin, well, what would you recommend after seeing Jurassic World Dominion? All right, I have three recommends. I'm going to be recommending Cobra Kai, which I have reviewed. I will say to date, 
that is the best usage of bringing something old back, kind of making a sequel to it and bringing in new characters. That's the best thing I've seen, at least. Um, my other is going to be Creed. I would say that's a great, all, another great example of kind of taking an old property with an old character and spinning it off into a pretty, pretty good new movie. And then for a bonus recommend, I'm also going to be going for um, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is once again another nostalgia trip. But I think they, even though that movie is fairly mediocre, it's still kind of a fun ride that that doesn't try too hard. I only have one recommendation. It's a very recent movie by a director that uh, is pretty infamous. Yeah, Moonfall by Rowan Emmerich. That's what I'm going to recommend. Corbin, have you seen that movie yet? I did. I uh, rented it at Redbox, watched it in the home theater. I loved it for all the wrong reasons. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and I am with you. I loved it for all. I want, I got to see oh, it in man. theaters. I love that one for, uh, again, just like you, all the wrong reasons. That movie is off the rails. <laughs> um, off the rails. They go inside the hollow moon. Spoiler alert. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's it's insane. So if you haven't seen it and you're kind of in the mood for a so bad that it's good, that's still really fun movie, give it a shot. I quite enjoyed it. I do want to get that one on Blu-ray. But that's my only recommend. Uh, that's one when I could think of that was even close to something that would be, oh, if you like this, you yeah. should watch this. Yeah, definitely so. kind of ridiculous, but harkens back to some of that 80s off-the-rails nostalgia. It's, yeah. yeah, don't even try and think about that movie. Just sit back and enjoy it. Um, Alan, do you know if there's been any, have they talked about doing any more Jurassic World films or park films? I, I don't know. I've not heard anything. There has been only one thing said about anything about the future of Jurassic Park movies. It came from Frank Marshall, the producer himself. And he said, we're going to sit down and we're going to see what the future is. So as of right now, there is <laughs> okay. nothing planned that we have been aware that we, we've been told of for Jurassic Park. So right now it's on a on the back burner, I guess. Until, I don't know, a few years from now, I guess. I'm sure it'll come back at some point. I, I feel like you're right. I feel like it's, it's going to be probably another four or five years until we get something. Yeah. I think they're going to have to do something really different, kind of like what they're doing with the new. Um, have you seen this new Predator? They're coming out with the new Predator movie straight to Hulu. I have heard about it, but I haven't. And I didn't know much about it. It's the Predator. He's going to be hunting Native Americans. Ah, interesting. So I feel like they're going to have to do something really different. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's what they'll do. It's going to take a while. It felt hard enough for them to even get this trilogy made. I mean, it took them the better part of a decade. Right just to get this trilogy out and it's just like man what idea what ideas are they gonna fart out next <laughs> i mean it's gonna be so stinking hard for them to figure this out right yeah exactly so i'm sure we'll be back in five years when when we're like third in our early 30s yeah. <laughs> you know deciphering jurassic park seven <laughs> What else can you do from here? That's my question. That's the question I think that we're both waiting to see what's going to be answered. Now that we've had six movies, what else can you do with the Jurassic Park idea, with the Jurassic Park franchise? We've already had a park. Uh, we've already had like an actual like amusement <laughs> park. Um, mm -hmm. 
what else is there? <laughs> there was an idea. I'm sure we talked about it in some of the older reviews that they, I think it was for Jurassic Park 4, uh, the scrapped concept of like dinosaur-human hybrids. Is that ringing any bells? Yeah, no, yeah. So Maisie was kind of on that thing where she was a clone, kind of like a dinosaur, not dinosaur, but like a clone you know, and that kind of led into, well, we also clone dinosaurs too, right? So that was mm-hmm. the big thing about that is, yeah, dinosaur-human hybrids, um, would would that be a thing? Obviously, it wasn't from this movie, but that's going to be pushing it. That's going to be really pushing it to still be considered a Jurassic Park movie, I think. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that I would want to see, <laughs> I want to see happen is if we combine, I believe as of right now, two of Universal's biggest franchises. If we could just combine Fast and Furious with Jurassic World, I think my life would be complete. That's what I want to see next. The funny thing is that they might do it. I mean, given what Fast and Furious is doing already, it's Mm -hmm. not that far away from, you know, the insanity that is already Fast and Furious. I want to see Dominic Toretto jump out of his Dodge Charger onto the back of a T-Rex. That's what I want. Maybe then I'll start watching those Fast and Furious movies. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners. Well, the question after the show is, would you own a pet dinosaur? (laughs) I feel like it's kind of like a pet monkey situation where you have to have a license. And then when you do have a, you know, get a pet monkey, there are a lot of work and they can be very dangerous if you're not careful. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Uh, yeah, there was kind of a cute dinosaur in this movie. My wife, my wife typically thinks these kind of things are cute. She wasn't so sure about it. It was that um, dinosaur at the black market. Um, kept staring at him in the pit when that other dinosaur was about to oh, eat yeah. him, the animatronic one. Yeah, I think I would own that. It looks kind of like the uh, creature that falls from space in the Barney movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'd go for. Fair enough. I'm thinking, yeah. so you know those tiny dinosaurs from the second movie, the opening of the second film? Well, what one of those? Just one of them, though, because a herd of them would be a problem. But just one would probably be okay. I could train it. Wait, does Barney the dinosaur count? Could I incorporate him into my family if, I, if possible? I guess my thought is it has to come from the Jurassic Park franchise. I don't think Barney's from the Jurassic Park franchise. Yet. Yet. All right, listeners. Well, you definitely want to come back next week for Corbin, and he's going to be reviewing Batman Forever. I have seen that. I've seen that more times than I would like to admit. So I'm really curious to know what your thoughts oh. are going to be on that. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, I had no idea you had seen it. So I've, I think I've only seen it once. I don't know why I've seen it so many times. I, I I really do not know why. <laughs> it's just is a movie that I somehow have seen way too much of. Uh, so. I'm I'm nervous. I'm really curious to know what you think about it. I'm, I really am because it sounds like you've been removed from it for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to expect. All right, listeners, see you next week for Joel Schumacher take on the Batman with Batman Forever.
The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. That's the way I saw it, at least. Um, I had a follow-up point that, that totally escaped my mind. <laughs> um, okay, well, Ian Malcolm had a solo adventure in the second. Third was kind of a weird thing. Um, man, I, uh, what, what else was I going to say? I was going to say something else. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, so... And then we get sidetracked by a dinosaur that comes out of nowhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the probably the big, well, the biggest example was the, I, uh, what was the example I had in mind? Uh, I totally forgot it. Yeah, not to mention there's, oh man, that that thunder shook the house. Oh, Ooh. I, I heard yeah. that. Wow.